It's time to talk about the Angus soundtrack with Angus himself, Charlie Talbert. What's up? Things are gonna change, I can feel it. If this gonna be that kind of fight, it Let's do this. I am so, so thrilled that I could get you on the show. I mean, first of all, we're friends. We're pals. But we don't get to see each other that often because we live, uh, you know, halfway across the country. Yes, you in Budapest and myself yeah, in, in New Orleans. Uh, yes, yes, I'm in Budapest. A lot, a lot of people don't know that Waterproof Records is a solely uh, Budapest-sponsored show. <laughs> Isn't it Budapest? Isn't that what they're supposed to say, Budapest? Yes, like I have a list, show. though, so I, I, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> Things get violent. Machinery will break. Well, what's so great about this is right now, for my listeners, they're, they're, they're tuning in, and the Angus soundtrack has come up many times in comments and whatnot, because it is, when you're talking, I've become this 90s uh, authority of music somehow over the summer, and it's I'm loving it. Um, but it's been a lot of fun, and so I decided to do a show, Waterproof Records, which talks about bands that I loved back then, bands that I love now, just music in general. And so I'm sitting here, and I'm like, if I talk about the Angus soundtrack, I get to have Angus on the show because I know Charlie. And I want to tell yeah. the audience how we met. I'm going to tell them the story of how we got to know one another. By the way, I love that you have this Bill Murray um, candle it's right there. You. It's, yeah, it's yeah, for yeah, you. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to get to that. We're going to talk about that TikTok and how... how the very first first TikTok you ever made was for me. <laughs> it's so, for you, from it's you. For, <laughs> so Charlie and I met, kind of long story short, we were doing stand-up comedy here in L.A., and obviously he lived in L.A. for, how long were you here for? Oh, gosh, uh, 23 years, I think. 23 years, you were in Los Angeles? So pretty much yeah. from Angus onward for a while, right? Yeah, that's about right. I told my grandma I'd be back in two weeks after high school ended. And I never came back. And I never came back. <laughs> well, so you'd been here for a long time. I was I was just starting out in stand-up comedy, and I don't know how how many years had you been doing it, or had you been just kind of dipping your toe in, or I I think I did it for a solid two years. You two know? years. Uh, um, so maybe maybe a bit towards the beginning of it, actually, maybe probably because I was there for like a year. Yeah. I yeah. Think, yeah. You knew a lot so, more people when I when I met him. I was so we went to this place called the Ha Ha Club, Ha Ha Cafe in North Hollywood, and that's where I met Charlie. And he was just one of these really great guys. And the funny thing was, I thought he was really funny, and we got along really well. And I remember he would like come in. You you had a tie and a button up shirt when you'd get up on stage. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and you looked great. And I got along with you well. And then I didn't put two and two together that you were Angus until like way way later. And I remember you were, there was a night that we were at the Ha Ha Cafe doing an open mic and you said something on stage. You go, well, that's it for me, you guys. I'm moving to New Orleans. And I came up to you afterwards and I was like, no, no, <laughs> you can't go. You can't go. And we hugged and we exchanged numbers. And, and I was like, I got to keep in touch with you. And you're like, yeah. And so this is what I love about this story is you said what everybody who kind of knows somebody says, which is if you're ever in New Orleans, Look me up. <laughs> Look me up. Call and, me. And you know what? I took you up on that offer. Where a lot of times people throw that out and they say it, and you go, "Oh, probably." Well, our paths will never meet again, you know. But I had the opportunity about two years later. I think you'd been there for about two years, 2014. Yeah. I had this opportunity to go do stand-up comedy in New Orleans, and like any broke LA performer. <laughs> I was like, how am I going to go to New Orleans and justify it? I have a kid. Um, I got to figure out how to play, you know, pay for this plane ticket. So I was talking to my wife and I was like, well, maybe I could come up with like a solution for where to stay. Maybe we could sell the baby. Maybe we could sell it you know, <laughs> or could, put it on loan. I know. pitched her that first and she did. Yeah. She considered it. But she said, <laughs> do you know anybody in New Orleans? And suddenly like a like a flashback I saw in slow-mo Charlie going. If you're ever in New Orleans, look, look me up. up. And I was like, 
Charlie. And I Well, that's I why I said it to you in slow motion in the first totally, place, so it really sink in. It really I was like, why is he doing this now? And then later it dawned on me, I was like, oh, because it was an important part of the story that he says it in slow motion. So I, I reached out and I was nervous at first because I thought, yeah, we got a chance to talk a little bit in L.A., but I thought this is definitely me kind of overstepping friendship boundaries so early on. But I reached out and he just said, sure, stay with me. <laughs> and I did. And I, I have stayed. a great picture, too, of you like on a uh, pallet on my floor, like looking yeah. up over the bed. You know? <laughs> I know. I remember That's that. We, it was so great. He was so hospitable, welcomed me into his house. I stayed with him, got a chance to eat beignets in the French Quarter. Um, he showed me some delicious food, and you know, I got to do my my comedy shows, and we got to spend time together. And I really cherish that trip. You know, I haven't been back since. I long to get back there again someday. But we've kept up over the years, and I'm glad we have. And now here we are, reunited, and it feels so good. It feels so good. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to tell, I got to tell you, okay. uh, huge shout out to. Jack Acidorian and his dad yeah. let me work out at the Ha ah, and letting us play there because that really got me through some stuff. Between that and Aaron Marsh, that's what really got me through doing the stand-up comedy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Aaron was the one that you got to know th- uh, through stand-up? He was my Yoda. He's he was also Yoda. a small fellow. So he I just, is a very like, small fellow. Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, great, Did thank you, you carry him after. in a satchel when you went to the Ha Ha? Much to his dismay and disagreement, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, shout out to those guys who who really gave us a lot of fun opportunities to share our jokes and and try out new ideas at that place. That then moved. It was in a different location, and then now since the pandemic, I haven't been back since. But I, I went. Well, there. shout out to oh. all of our fellow you know comedians yeah. that work with us, like Ryan Demarest. You know, big yeah. love to everybody. You know, a- absolutely, Ryan. That was a very very hard thing. Um, that had that happened when he passed. And I actually, the very first episode of this show, I kind of dedicated it to him because it was really the impetus for why I started the TikToks in the first place was he had just passed. And I was talking about how he and I would always geek out over bands. You know, we would talk about Metallica and Slayer and we would just like get into our metalhead ways. And when he passed, that was really the moment that I was struck with like how important music and bands are for me. And that was with my friendship with Ryan as well. And so I really have, you know, his, the spirit of, of a funny Ryan D who's uh, who I feel has been with me since this whole thing started. So I'm so glad you get, I'm so glad you shouted him out as well. Um, but let's give the audience kind of a little breakdown. Charlie, not only is Angus, he's a working actor. He's been in film and television. I saw him recently in the Watchmen I was watching. I was like, Charlie. (laughs) So that's the thing. And then you were in that, uh, the big, uh, what's that one? The big short, the big short. short. And you've been in a ton of projects, but that's one of my favorite things about when you become friends with an actor, you know, an entertainer, and you just see them randomly pop up in film and TV shows that you're watching. You're like, Charlie, it's that, it's that DiCaprio meme, you know, where he's pointing like this. That's what I do every time I see you. Yeah, but, and, uh, from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, so so let's bring the audience up to speed, I guess. On let's talk a little bit about before we get into the soundtrack because it's a music podcast. You were this was your first movie. Angus is your first film, correct? That's right. I told a joke in a Wendy's, and Patrick Reed Johnson came up to me and said, "Hey, you want to be in a movie?" And I looked at him and I said. Are you gay? Are you hitting on me? Is that what this is? <laughs> is that what and this goes, is? And he goes, what? I go, well, I'm a fat kid. I got pits. It's near Chicago. It's 12 o'clock at night. And you want me to be in a movie? And right. he's like, oh, no, no, oh. no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, right. He's like, I have reasons to be suspicious given the time and day and the situation that we're in right now that this could be a proposition. But he was legitimately a Hollywood director and wanted to put you in this movie. Yes, and he directed one of my favorite movies at the time, which was Space Invaders. Yeah, and uh, he discovered Ariana Richards from Jurassic Park and Space Invaders. Yeah, and he was like, "Oh, she's going to be the love interest." It's very much like Rudy. Uh, in fact, our casting director is the casting director from Rudy. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Chicago, and yeah. that was Jane Alderman. And he's like, "Yeah, come down to Chicago and go above Planet Hollywood, and we'll we'll help you read for a movie." And I, I went home and I was like, "Mom, I'm going to be in a movie," and she's like, "Yeah, shut the." Go to bed. Like, okay. 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 Yeah. Sure. You're gonna see the soundtrack's gonna be amazing. You'll see. (laughs) It'll be an iconic film. It'll be a coming of age film in the '90s that people will constantly refer back to over and over again. 
Oh, that's so cool. That is those stories that you rarely get a chance to to hear because, you you know, you hear like one in a million that somebody has found in a public place and they go, you, yeah, I'm going to put you in pictures, kid. You know, the guy with a cigar. But it happened. Had you thought about acting before this, Wendy's in, in Illinois? I was always a bit of a goofball. Like I, I did some I did a lot of school plays and stuff like that. In fact, I used to have this ritual even in elementary school. I would sleep at the school the night before because I always became friends with the janitor and every one of my family members knew all these janitors because we all went to the same school. Yeah. So they would let me crash like in the stage area and I would just yeah. hide and crash. And that was my thing. And it just was like, well, it's either this or I'm going to be on unemployment and then eventually working at Wendy's. <laughs> so that, you know, <laughs> that was my goal. Did you grow up in the Chicago suburbs? I'm from Kenosha, Wisconsin. Kenosha, uh, Wisconsin. You're a Wisconsin guy. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, born and bred, but it's only like an hour and 20 minutes away from Chicago. So that was the big place to go. In fact, that was the first time I'd ever actually been to Chicago. Yeah. I, uh, you know, you and I, which we're the same age, I, I'm pretty sure we're almost exactly the same age. And um, I moved to the Chicago suburbs when I was in high school. So it was like a, that was like a big uprooting for me as well. When I was around 15, 16, around the age you were when you, you made this movie, I was picked up and taken out of Tulsa, which I mean, I'm grateful I left Oklahoma in the long run. But uh, but I was picked up and thrown in in Naperville, Wheaton area of Chicago. And that really kind of I was an actor in high school, but that kind of opened the door because, yeah, when you're in Chicago, you're exposed to a lot more theater performance. There's creative things happening around you. And I was like, oh, this could actually be I could I could do this for a living, maybe. So this was the moment where you got chosen to be in this film. And what was it? Was it like they just flew you to L.A. or what what happened next? Well, basically it was, uh, Hey, you know, I'd, I'd love for you to come down and read for this, come down to Chicago, come, come in on Wednesday and, uh, you'll come to the office and meet the cast director and what have you. So I took yeah. my mom after a lot of convincing and also the chaperone convincing her that it was a real guy. Yeah. Um, I went there, I went upstairs, there was a kind of a fat kid leaving that looked kind of like me. I'm like, well, I'm in the right place. <laughs> so I go, I go into the room and it's really weird because her, it's very Chicago office, like everything is like cherry wood everything's dark and there's one corner with a little setup for standing in and auditioning with a light and it's yeah. dark everywhere else and the director is behind his chair turned sideways in the swivel chair and he turns and he goes he's, he's not looking at me and he goes go ahead and read your sides and i go what's the, what's the sides you what's know? the sides <laughs> well i swore you know yeah. i don't oh, yeah. know if you can swear on this you podcast, can swear but... you can say whatever the fuck you want on this show so, so i says, what the fuck's the sides and he goes well, excuse me and i go and he goes, oh, you're the kid. You're the kid. I blah, blah, blah. You know? Yeah. And I go, yeah. He goes, so we started talking about my life and he was noticing that it mirrored Angus a whole bunch. Yeah. And uh, he goes, well, can you do impersonations? Do you tell jokes? So I was like, I knew impersonations. He goes, well, give me one. I said, all right, here's Jim Morrison. And I ran to the corner and I turned away from him and I hid my face in the corner and went, oh, my baby, let me fall. <laughs> And he goes, wow, that's, that's a, that's crazy good. Like, he's like, that's so stupid. It's so esoteric. Yeah. And, and then he's like, D you know, what else you got? And I did Elvis and Goofy and all this stuff. And, I, and he's like, that's pretty cool. He's like, I'm going to give you these sides, which are a little script. And you take that little script and you're going to learn your, your lines and you're going to come back here next week. I won't be here. Jane will be here, et cetera. And I'm like, cool. I didn't get it. Fuck. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah. there was the opportunity. There I when it. I blew it. Damn Jim Morrison impersonation. <laughs> Why did I not know the lines that I was never given? And yeah. uh, so I went back, I auditioned a couple weeks later, they called and said, Hey, we'd let us fly out to California. We'll put you up at the Radisson uh, uh, by Santa Monica Boulevard. And uh, you know, at uh, third street, promenade and i was like okay and it was like we'll give you 60 bucks a day 80 bucks a day something like that and we'll fly first class you and your guardian and i was like sweet so i went out and uh, i walk in the, the the next day i go in and i see whoopi goldberg walking by me and i'm like oh my god yeah. and then i didn't know it at the time but there was ethan Sipley, you know and these other actors that were reading for roles and i'm sure i saw chris owen who played my best friend in the movie yeah and they bring me into the room i sit down and they're like, hey, we're going to bring in somebody in to read with you. And they bring in Chris Owen. And they're like, hey, we'll be back in a few minutes. We didn't realize this, but we started finishing each other's jokes and having a good time. Yeah. But what we didn't know is there was a camera in the room on and they were all in the other room watching us to see oh, if we were getting along. Wow. And they came back in and they're like, hey, we're not going to read you guys. What we're going to do is you're cool with it because, you know, we got stuff going on. We want to bring another guy in, which would be James Vanderbeek. We would later find out. Yeah. And uh, 
we'd love to give you a couple hundred bucks piece and just send you to Disneyland for the weekend. Is that cool? <laughs> and you guys are along. like, sweet. And I'm like, who's not getting along in the happiest place on earth with 200 bucks in their pocket? All right, Chris, totally. Shut up, shut up, shut up. I was like, yeah. okay, cool. Yeah, we'll do it. And we did it. Had a great time. Came back. And then, uh, you know, I, I we read with James, who I didn't get along with right away, which is great. You know, Yeah, was it was good for the out. movie. Good for the mm-hmm. movie, right? And then, and then, uh, but he said, so brilliant, so friendly. It was just, I, I was like, I was nervous. I didn't know, you know, so I had one friend on my side and I knew there was supposed to be a dynamic. So I was trying to play into it. And then, uh, and then they sent me home and about three weeks later, I get a call from the director and he's like, Hey man, I'm so sorry. I appreciate you coming in and spending all the time, but I, I feel terrible that you're going to have to spend the next four months with us. And I was like, yeah, well, what, 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 wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Aww, that, that's so that was, sweet. That was it. Yeah. I love it. What a, what a story. And so that, so, you know, it is one of those movies that I remember, and this was really big in the nineties, which was the soundtrack dropped before the movie did. It was literally like, I remember listening to the radio and hearing that green day, uh, J.A.R. song and being like, yes. what is this? This isn't on Dookie. I need to get this song immediately because I loved it. You know, it's got that iconic uh, at the end where it sounds like it cuts off. He doesn't say that last lyric. And you're like, what? Yeah. Wait, what? 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 It's what play. happened? You want to play? You want to play? play? That's All what you I want to do. do is say. All I want to do is play. I what? What? What's the last line? And it is so clever. And that has always stuck with me. And so I remember rushing out and I bought the Angus CD. And I didn't even know what the movie was. I was like, I don't know what this movie is, but I love the soundtrack. I'm looking at the back. I'm seeing Weezer. I'm seeing Green Day. I'm like, oh, count me in. So I had that soundtrack for years. And I think that I first time I actually saw the movie might have been, you know, a VHS rental. I don't remember actually seeing it in the theaters. And it was such it is a very, very 90s vibe movie, like the cut scenes where you've got the music playing. It is it has got all the 90s energy in it. Oh, no, it's definitely all the the, the guitar gains were high and yes. all the moral expectations were low. Yes. And the angst was filling the room. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And something that I've forgotten is not only you got you and James Vanderbeek and, uh, you know, some some you know, really recognizable young faces, but the older cast, you've got George C. Scott, you've got Kathy Bates, Rita Moreno, Rita Moreno. I, I, when I went back and watched it again, I was like, that's Rita Moreno doing the choreography. Rita Moreno kids was freaking Anita in West side story. You know, this is like, these are some really, and then this was something that I never caught before, but please tell me I'm right. The old man playing chess with George C. Scott is Irving Kirshner. The director of Empire Strikes Back, yes. And he was a huge... Why? Uh, How? The, he doesn't say a <laughs> word. So you'll notice on my IMDb, if you guys go to my IMDb, you're going to see a title in there that says 52577. And the director of Angus wrote a story, which I actually shot the first few shots for in California in 2007. Really? But it's about him being the very first Star Wars fan. He was allowed to go see the movie before anyone who didn't work on the movie saw the movie. And so that became like, he became like a legend and, and he loved Irving Kirshner. So he asked for that favor after he became friends with him and said, would you be in the film? And as sure as heck, he was in the film and he told me he was so giddy about who he was. And I'm just like, this is cool. I was giddy because I mean, when I saw it in the nineties, I didn't put two and two together, but that I, when I rewatched it, I was watching, I was like, is that, no. Why would Irving Kirshner be the guy playing chess across from George C. Scott? But I love it. I love it. What a cameo. And then George C. Scott, uh, you know, he passed, I believe, in 99. So only about four years after this movie was made. How did you guys get along on, on set? Was he a kind man or was he very focused and stern? <laughs> I also want to mention uh, Larry Pressman from from Doogie Howser, yes. who played the principal, who's yes. phenomenal, who yes. I was like giddy over meeting. But I oh, would tell sure. you the moment that uh, George C. Scott got out of the car, I'm wearing my new Air Jordan because I had a little money now. I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. Hey, man, you're cool. freaking Angus. <laughs> yeah, that? It was just I wanted something cool. I haven't been a welfare kid and broke and all that stuff, so I got these shoes. And I'm outside playing basketball, and I'm, I'm thinking I'm feeling cool at that moment until I look up, and who gets out of the limo? It's George C. Scott, and he goes, Oh, uh, you must be Charlie. And I'm like, oh, 
Oh my God, General Patton General knows my Pat- name. General Patton himself <laughs> just turned up on set. I know. He knows my name. You know, yeah. what was it like working with Peter Sellers? What was it like him working with you? Like, totally. like it, totally. it was just like that hand in hand. Those were my two favorites at the time. Yeah. And uh, it was just beyond belief. And then meeting Kathy Bates was no not a unequal feat because she let me pick out the cover to Dolores Claiborne. So the cover of Dolores Claiborne is the one I picked. And she had really? fun to say so, and she made the call right then and there, and that's how she bonded with me. And it was just so beautiful and wonderful. She's such a she's such a rock star of a of an actor. She in that movie when she's getting real serious about you getting bullied on. I was watching it, and I was going, "Look at the A game! Look at the A game on this one!" You know, when she talks about like, "You don't think I don't know what he puts up with?" I'm like, "Woo, Kathy Bates bringing the heat right now. She's really got those those chops that that kind of blow you out of the water." You know, you know, I gotta tell you something. It's kind of strange. I, I've done a lot of podcasts. I've done a lot of things, that, you know, re- regarding Angus, especially during the pandemic. I just went yeah. through and looked at hashtag Angus and yeah. would respond to all the people that did something. You know, really, in fact, really, I did that on TikTok today. Oh and my I went gosh. Everybody that talks about Angus in any way, even if they were slamming it. Yeah. And I was, uh, there was a podcast called uh, Teenage uh, Slumber Party. Uh, and uh, I, they were kind of trashing Angus a little bit. And really? I agreed with them. I agreed with them because what had happened, and there's, there's, there's two actors in here that you only see for a brief second within, within the film, and that's when Grandpa dies. Um, one who's in the kitchen with my my mom, yeah. and one who uh, doesn't have a line, who turned towards me, who's standing next to Kathy Bates when I come down and I'm crying, and she knows yeah. what happened. Yeah, And that was Larry Drake. And they played my gay fathers, and Kathy Bates was gay. And then the movie, they cut it out because they did not know uh, they, they were afraid of the audience retribution because we had picketers on set when we were shooting because you're in as part of a town, you're allowed to read the script yeah. and they were just anti about it. So there's a lot of the scenes in the movies that were cut out. So it's a lot of me just being an angsty teenager without the torment and coming to realization moments that I had with my fathers, wow. you know, especially Larry Drake and, you know, certain conversations I had with my mom and things like that. So it's, wow. it became a different movie. In fact, a little little hint is, uh, sorry, a little Easter egg is we weren't listening to Mazzy Star when we were dancing. In really? fact, I didn't know they were going to be on the soundtrack until I saw the movie uh, at, at the premiere. And what it was, it was Katie Lang's Calling All Angels that oh we God. were dancing to. So it was kind of interesting. But but now I cannot hear Mazzy Star without, without thinking yes. about it. Yeah. You know, that's the moment. So I experienced it like the fans experienced it. And I fell in love with it. I am so thank you for sharing that story. And I know you've probably talked about this movie so much in your life and been on so many podcasts, but I still I'm so glad you came on this one to talk about that because it's really important that time period in 1995 being gay was still a very, very, you know, like not, it could ruin your career. You know, this was, this was the time, this was the era where Ellen came out and it was a huge backlash and it just wasn't acceptable. And even there were bold, when you read about the Angus soundtrack, you read about, well, they put Pansy Division on the soundtrack, which was the yeah. first openly gay punk band, which is in of itself a, a way of signaling to the public, like, by the way, we're very pro LGBTQ, you know, like we are supportive of this. And it's just, it's interesting that they had written that into the story and had to kind of take it out because there would have, it could have ruined the film given the tone of people at the time. Right. Well, yeah, you know, and I, I didn't know much about Pansy Division when I heard about the soundtrack and, you know, that line where it's like all the gays are in San Francisco and I was like, and that's too far away. And I was just like, yes, you know, and it, it the movie, the original script meant so much to me. Um, Jill Gordon had penned the script. And then I know that John Lau and uh, Patrick Johnson went in, they worked together yeah, and they tweaked it, tweaked it you know. Um, but I was, I was really kind of heartbroken and I found out sadly through like an ADR session that I wasn't supposed to be at <laughs> all the changes in the movie. And I was just yeah. like, Oh no. So the movie wasn't what I expected it to be. And it That's was advertised fair. in a way where it was going to be this teenage comedy, but it wasn't. And that's the nice thing about the Angus fans now is the Angus fans who watched it, got it and told their friends. And now it has this huge following. Yeah. And I, I adore that. And I adore the fans for that because I know what the movie originally meant to me. And it still yeah. will mean the world to me, you know, sure. but it's, in fact, this is a, you can't see it on a podcast, but this is a 
Criterion poster from a fan. Yeah, I love it. You know? I love it. When I saw you hang that up in the TikTok, um, I love that the image of the Petri dish with that red dot in it. That's so great. And actually, some people do watch the show. Like, I do put this on YouTube. So the, the oh, ones great. who tune into the video version, they'll be able to see that. And, and uh, but it's, it's well, so I'm going to cool. put on pants then. Yeah, you better put it no, on. It's, <laughs> it's a pantless podcast. But that's that is so cool. Let's let's dig in a little bit to the some of the songs. I want to ask right out of the gate: Do you have a favorite song on the soundtrack? One that really speaks to you more than anything else? It, it's for me. It's always uh, you know, Mazzy Star hits me. Yeah, because I was in love with a girl from kindergarten, twelfth grade that never was really mine. You know, yeah. and, but but I got to tell you that opening song mixed with the you know by uh, oh sorry, uh, love, love spit, spit love. love. Yep. Yeah, um, and am I wrong? And they mixed it with the Warren Township uh, High School Band, which is where Patrick went to school. And that's that combo. And every time I hear that, my heart just beats the right beat, you know, and everything is all right in the world. And sometimes when I have an audition, I'll listen to that beforehand. You know, I'm working on a a show right now with uh, Elizabeth Olsen and Jesse Plemons, uh, directed by Leslie Linkaglatter and uh, David Kelly. And this is called uh, Love and Death for HBO Uh Max. Yeah. And... I have to do something very, I have to find out something bad in this. So I listened to the Angus soundtrack to feel good yeah. and then to have the air sucked out of me before I go to set, which is kind of great. That's you awesome. Know? That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That iconic love spit love with the marching band. What, what school did you say it was? You said the Warren township uh, high school band. Where was that? Is that a Chicago? That's in Illinois. Warren. In, Warren. In, in, yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. That sounds familiar now. Cause I went to, uh, I went to Wheaton North when the one year that I was there. So now I remember the name of that school. So holy Well, cow. I was in Northbrook, Illinois when I got discovered. I was coming home from the Northbrook Cycling, you know, right. and, and we were at that Wendy's that hangs over the freeway as you're heading back into Wisconsin. I know exactly but, where that is. But he was going back to Warren, I guess, from Milwaukee. So just kind of. Wow. Yeah. You know. That's so cool. Is the, is the movie supposed to take place in Illinois? No, it's supposed to be. Uh, Owatonna. Owatonna, which is Owatonna, Minnesota, Minnesota. That's right. It's supposed to be taking place in Minnesota, but, but and we I was, shot in Owatonna, Minnesota. Yeah. We, we, yeah, we, we definitely took, take, took that, that high school over. They even built the lunchbox across the street out of like a broken ground down garage. Really? And the gift was we, they would keep it. They would really build it and they really yeah. built it and left it there. That's so cool. I, uh, yeah, I knew, I knew it was Minnesota and then you can tell that the majority of the film, you're like, this isn't California. There was only one scene, which was the roller skating rink that I was like, that looks like moonlight rollerway over at near Burbank or whatever, which is a skating rink here. Is it, is it? Uh, it, it is. And then also, uh, there's a scene that split. Uh, there's a scene where we're outside of the school yeah. And when you're looking at the school's direction, which is my direction, yeah. uh, that was shot in California. But when you look in the reverse and you're seeing Ariana talking about being bulimic, you can see that it's like cold. Yeah. Her nose is super red and right. Totally. Like, yeah. So it's that's, a whole different world. That's whole totally different temperature, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I love the magic of movies. I've made an indie film, so I know how it goes. We have shots where somebody's talking to somebody in Wisconsin and then it's the angle, it's Los Angeles. It's like, yeah, nobody knows. Um, right. It's so great. But Love Spit Love, I'm glad you mentioned that one because I don't, uh, you know, being a music dork, Love Spit Love was a was a side project kind of a, a from from Richard Butler of the Psychedelic Furs. And so he basically like in 91, I think Psychedelic Furs are kind of, you know, coming apart. So he starts Love Spit Love. And what I love about the use of Am I Wrong in this film is here you have this coming of age high school story in the 90s. And the psychedelic furs are responsible for pretty in pink. So you have this great little bookend between that voice that you hear, you know, from from uh, Love Spit Love, which is also, you know, the same guy from the psychedelic first. So I thought that was like such a I'm sure the music supervisors were like really thinking through because this soundtrack does seem to be very thought through. Like I want to choose these artists. And I read that the music supervisors on Angus were also at the time managing Green yes. Day and the Muffs. Yes. And so, of course, their bands are included and not only included, but Green Day is brought up in the film multiple times. Yes. Originally, that was not Green Day. We were excited to he was excited to get tickets to Offspring. In fact, oh. in the movie, when you see Chris and I doing our little headbanging dance moments, it was you can see that's clearly in front of a gray screen. That was our screen test just to try on different clothes. 
And they just included it in the montage of the movie of us changing Angus's looks. I love and it. And we are dancing to uh, keep them separated. Keep them separated. And then, and then uh, so sometime great. after, I saw an interview on MTV uh, that Rivers Cuomo was in and Billy was in. And they were talking. He's like, oh. And Billy was like, yeah, we're doing a soundtrack for the movie Angus. And, he's, and, and Rivers is like, I'm writing a song for that movie right now. And that song, I just discovered during the pandemic, is called Wanda. You beat me to I, it. You beat me to it. My brain blew up, and I like I was like, "Are you kidding me? This Here's is what's on." What's so great about this story, and I didn't know this either, because I mean, hey, I just as the uh, the host, I did my research, and I mean, you gave your love to me softly. I love that song by Weezer, and it was on the Angus soundtrack, and then it was featured on you know all sorts of like B sides and albums that they would put out there. It's a great song. And I was reading this thing about the soundtrack and it was like, well, originally Rivers writes this song called Wanda. And it's called like the love of my life or whatever. That's in parentheses. He writes the song, he presents it. And in the song, which I listened to, I found it. He he put it out in a thing called Home Recordings, which came out in 2007. And it's just really, you know, you can tell it's like a demo in his apartment or wherever he's living. And this song, he's singing what Angus would probably be saying, like just kind of this self-loathing and feeling like an outcast. He gives it to the the soundtrack, you know, the, the music supervisors, and they go... This is way too similar to what the plot of the movie is. Like, this is so strictly following the story of Angus. We don't want it. And it hurt his feelings. <laughs> R- that, Rivers you know, was sad. And I get that. And I'm wondering if it's because of the the script changes that were made. Yeah. You know, yeah. I wonder if that would have stuck around because I really love that song. And yeah. I didn't hear it until the pandemic. I didn't hear it until just last week. I was like, I've never heard this song. That's amazing, yes. too. And you're in the movie and, and you have the soundtrack and you didn't, you know, hadn't heard it yet. But but that's that's a really good story as well. And then here, let me go back to the track list. I've got to remember what we've got here. We've got Angus track list. Okay, so we talked oh, and about... I remember, uh, I will tell you, uh, it was kind of interesting. We got to go see, and we were given a handful of backstage passes, and we got to go on stage, and we got to go see um, uh, Green Day perform at Carson City. Really? And we come into the back room, and Billy's like, who are these pukes? You know, and I was like, What? I'm like, hi, I'm Charlie. I'm the kid from Angus. He's like, oh, that's great. You know, and I'm like, why are you talking like that? Because I don't know. And we, we just all hung out and we were just joking around and just having a good time. And I have a picture uh, from that. That oh. was pretty amazing. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. I, 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 You've got to show me that picture someday. That would be incredible. I will. But they, uh, yeah, so so we start out the soundtrack with J.A.R., Jason Andrew Relva, which apparently yeah. is Mike Durnt had lost a friend to a car accident, I believe, from from growing up. And that's the name of the friend, Jason Relva. And yes. uh, it's just such a high energy, such a great song with a with, with a tragic backstory to it. But it's a it's a great way to open up this film, which we're now learning from you, a film that had a lot more depth and heart and layers to it that were supposed to be there from the beginning. You know, so right, right. Kate Hudson, who was uh, working with Brian Rodriguez on that on that uh, Summer Party podcast, yeah, they were talking about. Brian, she goes, yeah, but there wasn't like a lot of change in his depth. It was very, and, and and Brian goes, yeah, it was just a kid. Actually, to me, I liked it because it was just a kid that it seemed like a 13, 14 year old kid yeah. living his life around this and not knowing how to deal with it. And I was like, you're both right. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're both, both right. right. And I got on there. And we did like Angus Strikes Back, and we talked about it. I was like. This is like, you know, this is I, I feel exactly how you feel, you know? Yeah. And, and it's really neat to see a lot of these fans that have discovered this. And there was an accidental airing of one of the original versions of Angus on TBS once. And I saw that. You're kidding. And, yeah. It, it had the scene with me and Larry Drake and I'd ridden my bike to his house and we were talking about what was going on in my life and how I was feeling about it. And, and it just disappeared. <laughs> wow. You know, they would be smart to re-release like a director's cut or like a like a, you know, we just celebrated the 20th anniversary of Angus last fall, right? It we're at year 20 25th? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, what am I talking about? Not 20th, 25th. I'm losing track of time. 25 years. So th- this is a good time if that, you know, I I hope maybe we maybe we can get the word I don't think out it there. Huh? It doesn't uh, exist. As far as bad, yeah, all the footage is gone. Oh. So I, I think that's the world on that. I'd love to see it, uh, I but uh, I, it's it's kind of weird that I have a different memory of a movie. Totally, you know, which is insane. So. Yeah, it is. 
So then we move on to Enough by the Dance Hall Crashers. This was another, you know, this is very fitting of the time. It's that ska sound with the horns. And I think you I think you hear this right when you guys get to prom. I think it's the first song. Yeah. Get to the, enough the is enough. Enough is enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was I was uh I was on the fence about ska back then, and I still am to this day. I can kind of get into some of like the hits, but I didn't go. Uh, I didn't nosedive into the ska scene. What about you? Did you get into the ska sound at all? I, I did a little bit, only because I found out that uh, the, the lead singer and, and the, the entire group, actually, of Real Big Fish, were huge, huge Angus fans. Oh, that's awesome! And I found that out at a restaurant that was called Twain's on Cold Water and Ventura when I met them, and they yeah. was just. Yeah, and I was with Chris. So yeah. You can't really look at us and not go, that's totally these two, you know. And Chris, uh, through the American Pie movies, you know, great, he, he gained a great following. So whenever we'd be together, they'd be like, here's a dude from America. And they're like, no. And then they would yeah. put it together, right? Because they'd yeah, see you guys yeah. side by side. You and Chris are still close to this day, right? He's my best friend to the end. To the end. Does he? And I'm his Chucky. <laughs> Is he out he's here? A, is he no, out he's here in now? Boston now? He's, he's in, Boston. in Boston with his his wife. That's awesome. That's awesome. That yeah. makes me. I told that to my wife as we were rewatching the film together. I was like, and by the way, he became best pals with Chris Owen, and they're friends to this day. And she's like, oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, I think we've done like fourteen projects together. In fact, I, I wrote and uh, produced like a cartoon over the pandy, and he came in and read with us. And it oh, was that's awesome. it was just really fun. But it's you know, it, it's one of those things where that bond was real from the moment yeah. we met, and it yeah, just you can tell worked. You know, one of the things that I love that they included in the, the film, which was um, when you guys would kind of insult each other and then you would recover quickly. And I thought that's pretty uh, representative of how boys are at that age, that kind of, you know, dishing it, giving uh, each other some insults and just being like, well, we're not really that serious. You know what I mean? Like we can right. we can joke like this and then just pick ourselves up and, and go again instead of it making it a big old thing every single time, you know, which is strange because behind the scenes we would do the same thing. Thing, but with switchblades <laughs> you guys are always just 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 totally you know tying your wrists together and doing the beat it <laughs> dance with switch switchblades and we'd course. be like rita rita yeah. sing it and Go. she'd be like i'm not doing the shark song just, i'm not gonna do jets versus it. shark guys stop yeah, it stop not it. happen not happen i love it so then we have the Riverdale's back to you. Um, that that one on there, I I had to look up a little bit. Riverdale's actually was like a an alternate project from the members of Screeching Weasel, a Chicago punk band. So Riverdale's was like they it's not a side project. It was a whole other band, but it was basically the members of this band, Screeching Weasel. They go make the Riverdale's, and when you hear that song, you hear this enormous like Ramones influence. Like the Riverdale mm-hmm. song sounds like like a band that's like we love the Ramones, so we want to play music that sounds like the Ramones. I got to tell you, most of the soundtrack, it really sounds like it. Most of it sounds like it came from the same garage. Yeah. It does. Yeah, it does. And that's that's a, that's a credit to, you know, them putting the music together. In the Absolutely. And I think that's why Angus, you know, really kind of, you know, the soundtrack is really what gave Angus its following because the soundtrack blew up. You know, it did. I, I, Angus came out around the same time as Babe. Yeah. We weren't going to win against Babe. There was no there was not that was not happening. I mean, yeah. I didn't eat pork for a long time is what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> but, but no, no, no. But I, I would tell you that the soundtrack brought people to the movie, it brought people to reality. And then they would meet up and talk with these people that were hardcore fans that started in the theater with it or VHS with it. And then it just became this build up till eventually uh, Warner Brothers, who had the rights to it, finally, you know, bought the rights to the music. Right. And now I've started to see residual checks again. Mangus, which is insane which is insane you know and i I'm love it like, wow, it's amazing yeah it's just amazing that we keep you know touching people's lives you know and that's yeah. that's really what it's about and in the 90s you know i said this a little bit up top but this is a thing that has gone away it, they, they just don't do this anymore but it was very synonymous in that era uh probably late 80s into the 90s and even drifting in the early 2000s which was you make this soundtrack and you make it strong so much so that the soundtrack stands on its own. You know, you've got films like this single soundtrack totally stands on its own from the movie from Cameron Crowe. Then you've got The Crow. Then you've got Angus. Then you've got you've got all these movie soundtracks that really people would go out buy the soundtrack because it would come out a month or two before the movie comes out. And then mm-hmm. you'd just be jazzed to go see the movie and see where all this great music is going to be fitting in the story. And so that is something that needs to come back. They need to figure out that like loading a, a movie soundtrack 
soundtrack with these amazing, you know, cutting age bands, cutting of age, uh, you know, music, like if you were to, if you were to load up a soundtrack now with some modern, like kind of just now burgeoning music scenes, throw it on a movie soundtrack and release it, I think it would help the film. So listen up, Hollywood. We know what we're talking about, right? Well, the other way is to, but you can't do it now so much after Pandy times, but before, you know, all the movies I did afterwards, I would just go to Vegas with like a bunch of those business cards. Yeah. And I just flick it on my hands and be like, see a movie, see a movie, see a movie. You know, and so I was because the soundtracks weren't that good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they got to get those soundtracks right. So then we have we talked about you gave your love to me softly by Weezer, which is a great song. Oh, I'm reading these out of order. Doggone it! Thanks Google. I had the soundtrack and it's literally listing them side by side, so I'm kind of jumping around. Whoops! I'm not that going in good. order, guys. So that's not cool. I forgot about Jack names the planets by Ash, which is a Jack names the planets. You will stand up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, and then he says that thing at the very beginning. That guy's like, "Is this son Jack named the planets or whatever?" I don't, I don't yeah. know what the story is behind that, but but he he's named uh, the planets. You'll feel up. You'll feel up. That's a Northern Ireland band, a Nor- Northern Irish band, Ash, and they appear twice on the soundtrack. And this song, "Jack Names the Planets," was kind of the you know how every movie has the music video to promote the film. This was that song. That's what that. Yeah, they that. had the video with footage of you guys from the movie. You know, it's the live music and it's like it, that's the song that is like, you know, oh, this is what we're going to use to to promote Angus. So that one that one really stands out as like a and very it was kind of song. brilliant. The video, because what they're showing in the video is the kid getting lost in his music. And when it's taken away from him, all the kids essence is gone. And so they're just like, by the music, it will make you feel all the feels. <laughs> Totally. And, and they were right. They were in right. In this particular instance, because the soundtrack is killer. Yeah. What they put in it. I, yeah. Obviously, there's some stuff missing, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's great. And then we have, so we have Kung Fu, also by Ash, that came. So we basically had Green Day, then Ash, Jack Names the Planets, then Dance Hall Crashers, then Kung Fu by Ash, another great song. Then we went on to the Riverdales. Then we have Mrs. You and Me by the Smoking Popes, which were, you know, they were popping up on soundtracks left and right. They were also on the Clueless soundtrack and they were a Chicago band. And they really stuck out to me because they were like this, you know, kind of punk rock band. But the lead singer was singing like he was, you know, Michael Buble. He was like, and I'll see you <laughs> six feet underground. That's the song from Clueless. But again, right. here is a, a, another band that really was kind of showing how in the 90s, Everybody was trying everything in rock and roll, like just everything to stand out. We just left the grunge movement. Now we've got bands coming out left and right. And, and so Smoking Popes were good. I, but I don't remember where this plays in the movie. Um, where this oh, I could tell you. I, yeah. I think it. Oh, wait. Uh, I want to say it's when I'm working on the computer and I'm thinking about her and I pick up the picture of her. Oh, that is it. That is it. Yeah. I think you're right. And I'm thinking about our future together. And, you know, because that's what 15 year old boys should be thinking about. That's right. Totally. That's what they yeah, do. The future. Mrs. Yeah. Mrs. You and yeah. me, the name of the song. So fitting. Exactly. And so, it was love and he's freaking out over a picture. And then he's like, you know what? I'm going to dance with Wanda. And he I'm picks up his blow up doll, which sat in my living room for about a decade after I, my grandma proudly displayed it. I wanted to know what happened to the, the blow up Wanda. And so that you had it for a long time, huh? Yeah, I think my mom ended up with it, and then it went the way of the wind. But the, you know, it kept it's her gone, happy huh? Years, so. It's gone. Yeah, she's gone. Oh. She's gone with the wind. Oh well, one day I'm gonna send you another Wanda. Um. <laughs> I remember the face replacement for her because. Uh, Wanda was a real live action blow up doll, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like just, a, the real thing sold at the time. Face. Yeah. And, and I was like, oh, thank you. Yeah. Because they <laughs> didn't want creepy. this one. They didn't want. They well, didn't her want face that. fell off while we were shooting one. So I was like, no. <laughs> no, no. Oh, man. Okay. So ne- up next, we got the Goo Goo Dolls. Goo Goo Dolls. Remember them? No, they're still Ain't going. Unusual. Ain't that unusual. Yep. Ain't that unusual. Goo Goo Dolls kind of get remembered as being this. Um, you know, they got the songs like Iris from City of Angels and a lot of it's like really weepy uh, Black Balloon, you know, all these weepy kind of heartfelt songs. But they were kind of a rocking band uh, before, you know, they all those songs blew up for him. They were a little bit more like a, a rough around the edges. He's just everybody just gives them a hard time because the lead singer looks like a like a GQ model. You know, he had well, that, they were less angsty. Yeah, you know? yeah, they and were less angsty. That's what I liked about them. Yeah. They they had an opinion about what was going on. Yeah. And the opinion was 
that's it's the it's the, it's an opinion that only somebody that could be on the cover of GQ could have because they've dealt with it or they haven't had to deal with it. Yeah, you know, yeah. but they're still living in the time, so the music hits. You know, yeah. I think they, I feel like they used one of the songs too on uh, Varsity Blues. Yeah, but uh, you know, it's just one of those things with that feel. You know, yeah. You know, James Vanderbeek. This was kind of one of his first roles too, because this movie is pre Dawson. If I'm, if no, I'm this right. is his. Yeah, I, in fact, uh, they wanted us to work together so badly. I went out for for Pasty and Dawson's Creek twelve times. You did, yeah, uh, because they weren't sure how to play it. And then they finally, it was between me and him, uh, Josh, Josh Jackson, and, and they were just like, you know, I think we're going to go with him because he's, you know, he's got a sexier appeal to him. Yeah. And they were honest with me, which was great, you know. But yeah. they loved my read, and I was in love with that script. And I was just like, okay, this is, I'm doing the right thing. I'm going on the right path. And then they also, I also read for Billy Bob and Varsity Blues because people really wanted us to work together. But yeah. I wasn't big enough. Yeah. And then I ended up, I ended up uh, going in for Billy Bob and not another teen movie. Uh, Billy Ray, I think they called the yeah. character. Yeah. And I remember destroying a light, Joe, Joe Gallen, who does all the MTV movie awards and things like that. Spoof parody King. Totally. And music show award show King. And, and, I broke a light in the audition and I just looked at him and said, you just need to go with Ron, you know, and, and they went with Ron. And then I ended up booking um, the part of Billy Bob on the MTV series, which ended up getting picked up but not going because of undress. Yeah. And I was like, this is the way it is. But I was never that I was never fat in the traditional sense, because when you film something, it's always from the neck up. And I don't have a larger neck like that. Yeah. So it yeah. never read that way. That was always the trickiest part about my career. And I think that's why I work more now is because down here where I work in the Southeast, most people like I've worked with Barry Jenkins, uh, Martin Scorsese just saw me a couple times for his last movie. Yeah. Like I, I've been very fortunate that they, they're now seeing who I am and not totally. just looking at the physicality of myself, which is great. I think I think you bringing that up is interesting because I did have a thought, you know, I'm a dad, I've got two sons and, you know, raising children of my own. I, I wondered if being cast now, of course, it was an amazing opportunity, but it's not like we don't have um, issues with how we perceive ourselves and being cast in a movie where the storyline is that you're fat or you're, you know, whatever. How did that feel being the age that you were and having to kind of uh, wear that on your sleeve um, was it was it something hard or were you just I don't know? Tell well, me. I was picked on a lot uh, more so than Angus, and I became quite the little prick because of it. You know, yeah. Uh, like I, I would fight their attacks with humor, and I became this totally. sharp-witted little fucker. You know, and when Angus came about, it was kind of nice to tell everybody my story, even those that were kind of against me. You know, and it's one of those things like, well, one of my bullies, I just wished him a happy birthday. Today was his birthday and I, I wished him a happy birthday. Really? And he was a verbal and mental ab abuser. And it's one of those things where like, it's like you were going through a thing, you know, and this was my life. I don't know what your life is like, but I got to share this with the world. So there's no reason for us not to be friends, you know, and it's wow. one of those things where it, it, it felt really good to share that with the world. Now I'm relatively glad that it didn't become this huge success because God knows what would have happened. Right. You know, a gregarious outgoing, a guy who does stand up, you know, yeah, hey, there's going to be a little bit of craziness. And if you will, you know, that much craziness in a guy, hell, I played a, I was supposed to play Farley's son a month before he died. Really? And uh, I had his jacket from Beverly Hills Ninja and I wore that in a few films, Who's Your Daddy and a couple other films. And uh, it was created by Greg Nicotero. I, in fact, I just sent that back to Greg as a thank you for being awesome and making that jacket because it needs to go in a collection that'll be honored because sure. the original fella, you know, it, it's one of those things where it, it, to be able to share that. And Farley said to me before we passed that night, we were dancing in front, we were talking. It was his brother's show, Kevin Farley, mm -hmm. and it was called Head Over Heels with Peter Dobson. It was about a dating service. And I remember him saying to me as I did an impersonation for him because he goes, remember, don't let them laugh at you. Make sure they're laughing with you. Wow. And that was one of those things that stuck with me for the rest yeah. of my in my life. So I was really glad in retrospect that Angus did what it did and mm. doing what it's doing now. Yeah, that's amazing, mm. man. And you inspire me because maybe I need to forgive my bullies because I haven't yet. <laughs> you know, you I still be hold here so otherwise. much resentment in my heart. <laughs> I think I think. I think it, it forced me to be more creative, you know, and there's a bullying is not a good thing by any stretch of the standard, especially with how accessible we are through social media, et cetera. 
But razzing and it, I guess it was more of an inferior way to tell somebody, hey, something's a little off with you. And just so you know, this is how you fix it. Yeah. You know, pointing it out because we're so rough. It's like you said in Angus where we're, we pick on each other and then we immediately make up. Well, people that don't know each other don't know how to make up, but they know how to pick on each other to tell them the reality of the situation. Yeah. You know, and if that embarrassed you, maybe you should do something about it. And that was, it, it's like a, for me, it was a toss up, but that was only for me agreeable and accessible in the time I lived in. Now, because of the way social media is shaped and everything like that, it's not acceptable. You, you should not, and you cannot. And if you want to be somebody's friend, that's the way to go. Yeah. And that's what I learned growing up. And that's why I'm friends with the people that were arrested. You know? Yeah, I was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm half joking. I don't really keep in, in touch with my, many of them, but I did tell my son recently, you know, cause he's, he's in seventh grade, which is, this is right around the time where things just become a nightmare in terms of how kids treat each other. And so I was asking him about his, you know, how he's dealing with school. And I mean, post pandemic, they're really, this generation is going to skip over a lot of probably meanness because I think yes. they're grateful to just be back in school again and they're all still wearing masks on their faces. So you kind of go, he may not have that same edge that I have, but I was telling him a story about how I was picked on and how I ate lunch in the bathroom and, you know, all these things. And he was like, oh my God, dad, that's terrible. And I, I looked at him and I said, yeah, but it's why I'm funny. I said, it's why <laughs> it's why I'm funny. I figured out that I, I I learned that the only way to get out of this was to make people laugh and to entertain them. And I was exactly. like, I really, you know, that it was awful when I went through it. And it was awful when people were mean like that. But it it gave me this this little hack, which was you can kind of get out of a lot of problems as long as you're you know, you make people laugh and you entertain them. And, and you've done the same thing, which is you just take it and you turn it into a gift. And that's when you shared your first batch of mead with your son. <laughs> Legally, I'm not allowed to say that on the show, but yeah, no, <laughs> right, no, right. he, uh, he, I, I am, I cannot wait, honestly, until I can pour that boy a glass of mead with his dad and we can, we can drink it to the tavern together. So you got to come out good. to LA cause you got to come hang in the tavern that I built in my garage. I don't have to do anything. Yes, you do, Charlie. You have to come see me. <laughs> uh, see, this is bullying, guys. Please, uh, this is this is classic today. bullying. Jacob's bullying Charlie. Classic. He made me do a TikTok. He didn't make <laughs> I was just inspired. By the way, we mentioned that kind of at the top of the show, I think, which is so one of the reasons that got us together again was I did Mazzy Stars fade into you. I did the TikTok and, you know, I did this silly thing about being broken up with. And that's I mean, that song for me, somebody wrote in my comments that that song made them feel sexy. And I was like, huh, I always felt really sad when I listened to, to Mazzy Stars fade, fade into you. So I made this TikTok and in the comments, that's where people started going like, I'll never be able to hear this song and not think of Angus. And then I was like, aha. And then sure enough, Charlie went, made a TikTok and he duetted me. He he took the video and he made a little thing of him hanging that picture on the wall. And I loved it. I'm so honored. I'm, I'm glad that you made that. I made that exactly one hour ago. One hour ago. <laughs> no. He's wearing the same clothes that he's wearing in the TikTok. But um, all right. So we're gonna wrap up a few more songs. But we have so we have "Funny Face" by the Muffs that that comes up next. And sadly, you know, we lost uh, Kim Shattuck. She passed away after a two year battle of of ALS in the year 2019. And and she was kind of an iconic female performer. But that was another band that was you know being managed by the music supervisors. But I'm glad that they're included on this iconic soundtrack because the muffs were a great band and and uh r.i.p to to kim shattuck um, that song that song hit me i i love that song just a great. funny face but do you, it, it's one of those things where I, I out of all the songs i identified with that song most in the soundtrack yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and then uh it's a it's a great song and then we've got um after that we've got white homes by tilt I, I, you know, it's funny because I remember this song, but I just don't know if I listened to it a lot. I kind of re, re-listened to it while I was going through the soundtrack again, and I was like, Tilt, okay, so they, they're not still playing together. And I looked up a little bit. Tilt was, the lead singer was Cinderblock, and she went on after Tilt and formed a hardcore punk band, Retching Red. But Cinderblock is a legendary punk singer that, you know, I've heard that name said before, and I didn't know she was involved in Tilt. But, uh, but another, another great perfect addition to the soundtrack on on uh, on that song right there so then we have uh deep water by pansy division which is what we talked about you know uh earlier with the inclusion of a gay 
punk band and how important that was. And that was a statement. And nowadays you would tell somebody that and they'd be like, big deal. Lil Nas X is gay and everybody's fine with it. And back then you'd be like, well, there was a time where it was a problem. (laughs) We had, as far as I understood, we had Maltaf cocktails being checked out in the parking lot while we're shooting the football scene because of the gay father. That's the intensity that it was proud upon. And that's why I was so excited about that storyline getting out there. Sure. And, and it's a weird thing that I would recognize that at that age, that this yeah. is heavy and this is poignant and it, it, it wasn't in your face. Yeah. You know, it was just there and it was a fact of life. And for that to go away, that really, that really made me sad. But, you know, uh, Chuck Rovin was one of the producers. He was married to uh, Don Steele, who was produced that cool runnings, et cetera. And, and, you know, they, they had to conform, you know, it was a new line in Turner production. And uh, it, it was one of those things where it's like you, you, in that job, you do have to, at that time, you had to cater to the mass media. Yeah. And it was a very difficult movie to shave down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, nowadays it can, it can, you know, we can tell the story of what was supposed to be there, you know, in on the original mm-hmm. film. And it's still, the film is, it means a lot to a lot of people especially me. And I know that it's important that you're, you know, touching people's lives to this day. And, uh, we have the last one, which you talked about earlier, which was love spit love. That's the last song on the album, but there's another song when I was watching the film that didn't make the soundtrack as well, which was, um, Peter Gabriel's washing of the water, the water. Yeah. That's the, the chess scene. I was watching the movie and I was going, that's Peter Gabriel's voice right there. And I was going, well, that's not on the soundtrack. So there were some, there were some, uh, songs that, that, uh, didn't make the final cut you know, but uh, on the soundtrack, at least. I'm sure there's probably an extended Angus soundtrack out there somewhere. Well, don't forget Hot, Hot, Hot. That's right. Hot, Hot, Hot. I can't forget Hot, Hot, Hot. That's in the movie. There's some poignant songs like Interstate Polka and Hot, Hot, Hot that make the movie what it is, you know. So Uh, It's just, yeah, but I got to say Washing of the Water, that song. That that really lets you think about what you've just watched when yeah. that song plays through, and it helps you identify with your own life and the passing of time. And yeah. you know, it, it was it was uh, that you know that and you know Mazzy Star, you know, yeah. that was crushing, crushing. But it was mm-hmm. fantastic, and that's and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the Angus soundtrack with Angus himself, Charlie Talbert. <laughs> Dude, this has been an absolute blast. Not only just getting a chance to reminisce and hang out with you, but getting this time, this FaceTime, you know, because we don't get to see each other very much. And now I'd wish that over the pandemic that we'd done some, you know, I don't know, uh, some games or movie watching over Zoom. And now we'll just have to do that since we can we can hang out. Absolutely. I'm only a phone away. Only a phone away. And Charlie always sends me a message on my birthday. He always does. It's so great. It's a it's a tradition now where I know on my birthday I'm gonna get a message from Charlie. It's a little video message. It's great. I, it's, I'm sure I've dropped the ball once or twice. Here maybe, or there. maybe, but I don't like to believe that. I think I've dropped the ball on every single one of your birthdays. <laughs> you know, I do. I, I so I'm gonna I'm gonna I, I use my Instagram, which is Charlie Talbert yeah. underscore performer. Uh, if you reach out to me through that and you, you know, things like that, I, I'll write back to you, I'll talk to you. But one of the things I was doing when I had Facebook was I was like, you know what? Just go through every day. People that you know, what have you, are people that are fans. You know, I try to go through and I do the birthday wish. So every day I go through and, you know, when I can and I I, I send out those messages unless I'm working or something. That's so cool that you actually uh, that was going to be my next question, which is how can people find you and how can they follow your career and the things that you're up to? And you just gave the Instagram, which is a good place to go. Say it again for me. So it's Charlie Talbert underscore performer. Yeah. Charlie Talbert, Charlie, I.E. Talbert underscore performer. Uh, I'm on, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not a huge like Twitter freak. Uh, I usually respond more to my Instagram than anything. Yeah. I, even if you send me a private message and we're not friends, I'll, I'll go through there. And then uh, to find out what I'm working on, you can go right to my IMDb page. Uh, Love and Death isn't on there yet because I'm still shooting it. Coming uh, soon, though? Right. Yeah, it'll be out on HBO Max. So. Awesome. So we'll have to, everybody will have to go check that out and and support and, you know, be there for Charlie's career because I'm a big fan. I think he does great work. He's a, he was a remarkable actor in Angus and he has been ever since only gotten better and grown and just really shown his chops. And you can see that now people can see just the talent in, in him and, and using him appropriately. So I'm excited to see where your career goes over time. 
And uh, just so excited that you came on the show. And uh, yeah, you guys go follow Charlie. Um, if you've never seen Angus, you should definitely go watch that and definitely ter- crank up that soundtrack and remember the good old days back in 1995. Oh, well, thank you, man. Thank you. This has been a blast. It was, it was awesome, Charlie. This was a blast. And thank you again for coming on Waterproof Records. And uh, we'll see you next time. Absolutely, my friend. Remember, there is no normal. There is no normal. Things are going to change. I can feel it. If this goes to that kind of body, I'm going to